Throughout my adult life, my income has fallen within a couple of thousand dollars of the national median income. My wife, Hilda, has been kind enough to oversee our financial affairs, so for 50 years I've had little idea how much money I made per week, month, or year. Whatever it was seemed enough, even a little more than enough, so everything was fine. In the years before Hilda, as an only child in western Pennsylvania and then Hawaii, my father's business career kept my mother and me in relative comfort. I have a single lasting memory concerning money from the Pennsylvania years. On a warm summer day, we were visiting my grandparents in Jeanette, an industrial town near Pittsburgh, and all of us, father, mother, grandparents, aunt, uncle, and three cousins, had gathered on the front porch after dinner. Hey, Mikey, my father said in his customarily loud voice, here's a riddle for you. A wide smile on his ruddy face, he held both big hands toward me, palms upward, a shiny silver coin in each hand. I was so young I had no idea what the coins were, though one was nearly twice the size of the other. Take whichever one you want, he demanded. Sensing a trick, I reached and took the smaller coin. Look, my father exclaimed in a voice that must have been heard up and down the block. Look what Mikey did. He grabbed the dime instead of the nickel. When this kid grows up, he'll be rich. At that precise moment, I became resentful of people who place money at the center of their lives. When I was ten years old, we moved all the way from western Pennsylvania to Hawaii, where I attended Punahou School in Honolulu, the same prep school Barack Obama graduated from in 1979, and which, in his autobiography, he accurately defined as an incubator for the island's elite. After my Punahou graduation in 1955, my parents moved to California, and for the next few years I led a chaotic life. As a college football player, a laborer, a sometimes homeless vagabond, and an enlisted man in the army in Germany, where I met and married Hilda. Three years after my army discharge, with a master's degree in English language arts from San Francisco State, I took a college teaching job in Ashland, Oregon, where Hilda and I, along with our extended family, live today. Ashland, Thanks to its Shakespeare Festival, university, ski resort, and magnificent surrounding countryside, has often been included in those ten best small towns and ten best places to retire lists published in national magazines. The resulting notoriety has made it a relatively expensive place, with neighborhoods of luxury cars and monstrous SUVs parked alongside multi-million dollar homes. A surprising number of these dwellings are 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 square feet, with a few even larger than that. Many of these lavish residences are occupied by retired elderly couples rattling through their golden years among six or eight bathrooms, ten or a dozen bedrooms, plus maybe an indoor pool, billiard room, and arboretum. Luckily, Hilda and I arrived in town decades before gentrification set in, so our modest income remains more than adequate. We've even been able to help our children with modest sums of money when they needed it. Our daughter, Ingrid, 
is a fifth-grade teacher who loves her work and does it very well, and our son, Pete, who read Thoreau and took his ideas to heart, is happy with a hard, simple outdoor life, working as an arborist and specializing in big tree work. I include these details to make an essential point. My life has thrown me into close contact with people in every economic circumstance, from the homeless to the very rich indeed. I've slept on the ground in Central Park in wintertime, New York, as well as in exquisitely furnished mansions in Hawaii. I've dined on gourmet food at private clubs and gone three days and nights without a bite to eat. All of this matters because of our oldest grandchild, Billy Hansen, Ingrid's son, who became a college freshman this year.